Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Here at Refuge, we track with what's called the lectionary, and I say it a lot, and you might even be getting tired of it, but the lectionary is a guide for every single week of the year. There are four passages of scripture that are given to us. And so you see on the screen the readings for today, April 24th. This is the second Sunday of Easter. Easter is a season. It's not a day. It's a season. And in the life of the Christian, it really is a season that kind of embraces our whole life all the time. Because if the good news is that Jesus raised from the grave and has given us opportunity for hope with him, then every day is Easter. However, we understand that in the world that we live in, it's not all Easter, not yet at least. And so this is the list of readings for today. Most weeks, I attempt to just go after one passage. Um, I, I meet with a group of friends that are also pastors, and they do this as well. We say, if you could pull three of the passages together in one sermon, we call that a hat trick in, you know, pastor talk land. And then, if you can pull off all four, it's the whole enchilada. And I am going to attempt that today. So I need you to stay with me. Um, you can Google things later, but stay with me. I promise you the sports will get to after church. But here we go. Psalm 150. You heard Annalise read it. It's the last psalm of the book of Psalms. And there's this one phrase that gets mentioned in the last verse of the book of Psalms. It's this one. Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. I'm captivated by that imagery because the psalm writer knows exactly where our life comes from. If he or she reaches back into history and remembers how things began with the creation of the world, it was God's breath, his ruach, if you put the Hebrew word to that. It was his spirit that he breathed into them and gave them life. That is what the psalmist is talking about. When everyone who can live and breathe, may we give praise and breath to the Lord. I love the imagery, but I'm also reminded of the next few passages that we deal with. And I'm going to go in a different order than sometimes is listed. We're going to head to Acts chapter 5. Now, Acts chapter 5 is a super fun storyline. If you've never read the book of Acts, I highly encourage it. Because what that one is all about, that book, it's like a follow-up to the Gospels. If you have the history of Jesus' life in all of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. What happened after Jesus got out of the grave? So it's a really fun one to see what happens when they meet people like Stephen, who decided that he would live so committed to the cause of Jesus Christ that he would even die for it. And then you hear about people like Saul, who eventually becomes Paul, who's a really influential writer for the New Testament. But these apostles are out there spreading the good news of Jesus, And we get to chapter 5 in Acts, which is our reading for today. And the apostles have been put in jail by those in charge, the Jewish leaders in charge. And miraculously, they get out of jail. Like, you know, those crazy stories, like somehow the gates were opened and they get out. And they were impressed with this idea that instead of scattering and getting far away from prison as they could, that they were supposed to go to the temple courts and begin to preach about Jesus. That's what they they felt they were supposed to do. 
Well, the next day, when the Jewish leaders figured out that there was no one in jail when they put them there yesterday, they're like, where did they go? And they go on this manhunt. We've got to find these guys that we put in jail. And in Acts chapter 5, it says the apostles were caught in the middle of the temple courts. And then they, they, were, uh, they were approached by the Jewish leaders. And they're like, what are you doing? In Acts chapter 5, we get this passage that is said here. If you can put that one up. It, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. I don't know if you've heard that phrase lately before, but it's one of those things where we like, we're like, if I don't like what the government's doing, I'm going to say, I must follow God, which is a good thing to do. But these individuals were so committed to the cause of Jesus Christ to share the good news about forgiveness and love that God has for his people that they were willing to preach even in the openness of the courts, of the temple courts, that even if they had to go back to jail. Here's what I love about that passage. Oh, how quickly they forgot when they were scared. Because Acts chapter 5 happens a long time after John chapter 20, which is our other passage that's on this week's reading. Because John chapter 20, we started that storyline last Sunday when we talked about the resurrection, when Jesus comes out of the grave and it's Mary who finds it first, him first, out of the grave. And the other apostles are so scared that they hide with locked doors. That's what we're told in the, in the storyline in John chapter 20. They're going to go figure out how to get so far away from things and lock the doors just in case what happened to Jesus happens to them now that there's no body in the grave. And they're scared. And we come across this moment in John chapter 20, and it's, it's just a few verses long. Here's what it says. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Drop a couple of verses down to verse 21, and he continues. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. Don't miss this. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive, they are not forgiven. Those are powerful words by Jesus behind closed doors. How did he do it? Like this is, is this like a voodoo moment where he just walks through doors that are locked and he shows up? Oh, how I wish I could have been there. If you continue to read the passage, you'll come across a person named Thomas, who's also called Didymus. And he's the one who often gets labeled doubting, right? They put this moniker in front of his name and said, oh, you're Thomas? You're a doubter. And I like to figure out which of the apostles would I be. I think we do this even when you watch movies. You're like, I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to be the amazing one. I'm going to be the one who was always there committed to Jesus. If I am honest with you, though, I would be hanging out with Thomas and saying, I am not really sure. I need to see more. I want to see the scars on your hand. I want to see the nail prints even in your feet. And Jesus allows him to see even to push put his fingers inside the holes of his hands or his wrists as well as his feet. And he proves to Thomas in that moment that it was real. But I've been there. I've been in those moments where I've doubted, oh, to be in a room where God and Jesus would show up and breathe. But did you also catch, do you remember, we read Psalm 50, those who are filled with the breath of the Lord. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, it is the breath of God that brings life. So it only makes sense that after the resurrection, when Jesus comes into a room with his disciples who are so scared, he would breathe on them because they need new life. 
They need to be reminded that God is on the throne and he is not scared, even though they are. And finally, the passage you've all been waiting for, Revelation. When you talk about Revelation, people are like, ooh, I don't understand that book. Welcome to the club, okay? It is not something that we can just quickly read through and be like, yeah, got it. So easy. Done, right? But Revelation is one of those books where we're thinking, hmm, I wonder if it will tell me something about what's to come. I want to take you back to 1988. Here was a book that came out in 1988. 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. And the person who wrote this actually said it was going to happen on September 11th, 12th, and 13th of 1988. Here's the problem. It got to September 13th, and Jesus had not come back and raptured the people yet. He got to December 31st, and the author of this book said, well, it's about to be 1989, so I will write this book. The next book is The Rapture Report, 1989. And I just feel like in his life, this author is like, I can pinpoint the day when Jesus is coming back. And even if I'm wrong, I'm going to tell you about it. And he uses Revelation to back up all of his theories. But this person who wrote this book and others is not alone because we have often wondered, can I read Revelation and actually chart a course of how Jesus is going to come back and actually have the end of the world? We hear of things like wars and rumors of wars. And we say, oh, it's got to be now. The problem with that is there have been generation after generation after generation who have said it's going to be this year. 2022 is going to be it. There were probably some in 2020 when the pandemic happened, like this is it. Problem is we don't read about Jesus using the pandemic to actually bring about the end of the world. But when we come across Revelation, we sometimes think there are hidden images and meanings Maybe there are, and it's definitely poetic language. It is an apocalyptic literature style. It is not something that you and I pick up all the time, but the person who wrote Revelation is a guy named John who wrote in a way that the people of the day would have understood. It was, it's not unlike um, the old, uh, um, oh, the, the, uh, the, the Negro spirituals during the time of slavery in our country when they would write songs with the hope of one day it's going to be better. That is the vein of the writing of Revelation. John is saying there's going to come a day. It's not something that we're supposed to use and chart it. We are supposed to use it for hope. So when we get to the beginning, and this is where we read today, Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, and this is what the author says. John, he's just naming himself. This is a standard letter practice for the New Testament writers. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, which actually today would be modern-day Turkey. So if you've been to Turkey, you know some of the area that John is writing to. Grace and peace to you from him who is and was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. But as the writer 
knows better. He can't stop at that. He wants to continue writing, and he quotes, Look, he is coming with the clouds, which is a quote from Daniel. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him, which is a quote from Zechariah. So shall it be. Amen. And then the final verse of our reading today. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come. The Almighty. And I would say, amen. Those are good words. But if you're like me, sometimes when we drop into Revelation, we got to have our bearings straight. Where am I in this? It's not getting crazy yet. There's no talk of bulls or trumpets or horsemen or anything like that. All John is saying, I'm writing to seven churches throughout the province of Asia, modern-day Turkey, And he continues in the next chapter, and you can read about it, those that even God wants to spit out because they're like lukewarm churches. They don't even know where they stand on things. But as John is writing from the island of Patmos, in his moment of revelation, as he's writing this down, wanting to send good news to the people all throughout the empire, he is proclaiming something that we must see. We must see a person who is so committed to the cause of Jesus Christ and the good news, who says things and quotes God, who says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. And I know many of you were up late last night studying your Greek. And the Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and the Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He is saying, I am beginning and I am the end. I am all things. But for the people in the empire that John is writing to, It was not good. Things were not good. This is when the Roman Empire was at its heyday. Even far beyond the time period of Julius Caesar, we're getting into the the age of the Caesars, Caesar Augustus and after. Men who ruled an empire with bloodthirsty ruling. They would kill anybody in their wake, even Christians, We hear about the Christian empire of Rome, but that doesn't show up until Constantine in the 300s, so many years later. But the season that John is writing in, this this apocalyptic literature, it is so bad for Christians. And you can imagine that in the backwater towns of Asia or Turkey today that he's writing to, they would have been huddled together in little house churches, not with great opulence, but in an empire that every city that wanted to brown nose to the emperor, who wanted to show off their allegiance to the emperor, would be building these great temples and these great structures and saying, hey, Caesar, you love us, right? But in these backwood places, There are Christians committed in these house churches and saying, yes, Caesar is Lord, but we know who really is Lord. They would remind themselves of the storyline that yes, he goes to the cross, but he gets out of the grave. That he is the beginning and he is the end. So when I think about these four passages of scripture, I'm amazed at how well they fit together. Passages like Psalm 150 that says, everybody who is filled with the breath that God has given them, which all of you look like you are breathing right now, and that is a good thing. Keep doing it, okay? We are filled with the the breath of God. We must praise. But I'm also reminded of the stories of the disciples who in John 20 were so scared. And I almost want to use those phrases that get said in movies, like they were scared. Yes, they were so scared that they were locked behind doors and they did not want to get out because lest it happen to them the way it happened to Jesus. 
But then in Acts 5, they actually grow a spine. And they are reminded that even though they were scared then, they are not scared now. Because the one who rose from the grave is the one they want to talk about. And it's also the one who rose from the grave that John can't help but pen an apocalyptic literature letter to these seven churches in Revelation and says to them, it doesn't matter who's on the throne in Rome because we know the Alpha and the Omega. We know the beginning and the end. We know the one who is even greater than Caesar. There's a couple phrases that catch my eye in this Revelation passage today. And I want to go back to Verse 5, because I think here is where we get a job description for Jesus. You've ever wondered what he is, and you're like, yeah, yeah, he's the son of God. Yeah, he was uh, Mary's kid, right? The one from Nazareth. I don't know why I wanted to have like a Brooklyn accent or something, but yeah, 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 he's that guy. Um, but what is Jesus' job description? This is what we get from Revelation 1, verse 5. I think it's verse 5. Is it up there? Do you have it? There we go. He is the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. And he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. When people ask you, who is Jesus? You could start with this. I mean, I feel like you need to warm it up a little bit. I don't know if it'll always be well received. But when you think about this, he's the faithful witness. We have been told, if you want to know what God looks like, which is often what people are searching for in life, regardless of the religion that they adhere to, what does God look like? For us, it's always Jesus. So if you think God is out to get you, Remember the ways that Jesus acts. It doesn't seem like when he walks into a town, he is out to get people. What does Jesus look like? Or what does God look like? He looks like Jesus because he is a faithful witness. I don't know what your version of God is, but if it's not looking anything near Jesus, probably need to begin to change. Secondly, it says he is the firstborn from the dead, which again is a weird phrase. But that is wrapped up in good news because we think the end of life is the moment that we are either cremated or put in the earth or something tragic happens or anything like that. Like That's the end, and we're trying to avoid it at all costs. I know that all of us are. We're doing our best to stave off death as far as we can, but we know it's coming. But the fact that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead means that there is the possibility of new life and eternity if we understand what God's up to. And that's good news. And finally, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth, which I know had to be good news to all those seven churches in Turkey. When they are being oppressed under the regime of the Caesars, they needed to be reminded that it's not Caesar who caused the final shots. Oh, actually... We have one who is greater, and his name is Jesus. But I'm also captured by one final phrase from this passage in Revelation. It shows up in verse 6. He has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. I feel like this might be our job description. If we know what Jesus is like, we have an idea of what we're supposed to be. And I know it's crazy. And I know like sometimes when you hang around Christians or you come to church environments, people can be guilty of, of saying too flowery of language at times and making it sound too good. 
You know, have you ever hung out with Christians at times? And maybe it's just me and my issues in life. When I hang out with Christians and people say crazy things like, well, brother, I've been washed in the blood of the lamb. You're like, yeah, I know what you mean, but that sounds crazy, right? Like, it sounds weird. Like, I'm not sure the first conversation with a person off the street who's never heard anything good about Jesus, like you want to tell them that he washes people with his blood. Again, we need to warm that thing up a little bit. Like, let's have a, have a conversation that's a little bit better. And so this passage, this phrase right here, he has made us. If we draw connection to that first century context to which John is writing, he has made us to be a kingdom and to be priests. And that's crazy language at times. Because I bet none of you actually woke up this morning and be like, I cannot wait to become a priest. Because that language and that title often has sometimes negative, sometimes positive connotation for us. But if we look back in the Old Testament and understand the role of the priests, it makes a whole lot of sense. And here's what I mean. Oh, that's going to be bad news. I saw Briley all worried about that one. Okay. The priests of the Old Testament were fascinating. We have these images of the Jewish people in the Old Testament who must go to temple to atone for their sins and bring their offering, and they would come to the priests. And the priests were the Levite tribe, right? They had an entire tribe of people that were dedicated to be priests for all the people of God. So when they got out of Egypt and Moses led them, like Charlton Heston got them out, or VeggieTales got them out, and were across the Red Sea, and were hanging on the desert, and they got the tabernacle, which is the you know, temporary version of the temple, and they had to bring their sacrifice, they would find the priests, which are the Levites. But when they got to the promised land and they were able to build the first temple, the priests are the ones who continue to work the temple. And because of our 21st century understanding of the language of priest, we read that back onto the Old Testament, and that is not true. They are not people that walk around with collars that have like a little white section. They are not people that meet you in the confessional booth and say, go and sin no more. Do you know what the priests were good at? The one thing they were good at? They were butchers. And I don't know what your version of eating is like, and I'm not trying to make you become um, either a meat eater or, or a vegetarian or a vegan. That's not my, my job in life. I'm just telling you the way it was. Was that when you would bring your animal of sacrifice, depending on the sin that you had committed, and it was different. If it was a big sin, you could bring a bigger animal. Sometimes, if you lived on a block or a cul-de-sac or perhaps a dormitory, and all of you had sinned that year, which, let's be honest, you probably have. You would do a combined gift. You would bring a combined animal. Like, this is our combined gift of sacrifice to the Lord. You would bring this animal to the priests. And the priests, you would only be allowed to into a certain section of the temple premises. And when you brought that animal to the priest, the priest would allow you to slit the throat of that animal. And I know I'm getting gruesome, and I'm not trying to make you queasy, and I promise it's not going to go much further. But you would be a part of the act of this moment. The priest said nothing to you, by the way. They didn't talk because they were in the reverence of the temple complex because that's where God lived for the people. So you would never be caught talking to the priest. There would be sounds of animals because we know how it works. But when they would bring the animal for sacrifice, the priest would help you and allow you to kill the animal to atone for your sins there's the thing called bloodletting, which again, I know sounds weird. They're going to let the blood out so the animal is, is dead. 
And they would cut a portion of the animal, whether it's a fatty portion or another portion, for sacrifice on the temple fire. But then they would give you the rest of the animal back to take back to your friends who are camping out on the outside of Jerusalem, and you would have a party for the rest of the week. So when we think about this idea, I've got to go confess my sins, we think we are shameful, ugly people. That, oh, is there any chance that God will love me enough that he'll let me in? But the image for the Jewish people, which is probably a better understanding of how we approach God, is the understanding that I bring my sacrifice, and the priest says nothing to me, but the priest knows how to carve an animal, and the priest will give me back an animal to go celebrate. I don't, I don't want to miss this moment, and I don't want to have to keep saying it over and over again. But the idea that you have to come sloppy and crying and like just like, God, forgive me, there might be times for that in your life. But there are also times that we come to God with confidence and say, God, this has been a year where I have not followed you well. I have messed up at times. Please forgive me. And the confidence is when that animal was sacrificed on that day, the next day it is a party. That changes everything if we get it. Because now, if we understand who the lamb is, which again is a word that was used in one of our earlier worship songs today, if we understand who the lamb, the sacrifice, the great one is, it's Jesus who goes to the cross and defeats death and gets out of the grave, then I don't even have to bring an animal anymore, but I bring myself and I say, I don't want to stay here in the guilt and the shame of my sin, but I want to get to the party and Jesus, will you let me in? And Jesus is all in the business of saying, there is room at the table. Would you come? and experience this good news. So what is our role? We are supposed to be priestly people. There's even language for it in the rest of the New Testament writers who say we are kingdoms of priests, meaning that what we are supposed to be good at is throwing a party for people who aren't in yet. And I know you know them. I know you have people in your life that are far from God because they are far from a version of God that they have been told about in the past that sounds really painful and ugly. A God who is looking through a magnifying glass just to burn you. That is not the God that we serve. We serve a God who says, I am going to defeat death once and for all so you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to allow you to come to the party the next day and celebrate because I have already paid the, the sacrifice. I've already paid the price. And so for us, and today, in 2022, we have got to be about the priestly things of life. So my question for you is this. What are you priesting? And I know it's bad language, and I know it's not a good conjugation of that word. I know I took a noun and I verbed it, and it's not appropriate, and you can judge me later, but I want you to get it. What are you priesting lately? Where is it that you are inviting people into the good news of Jesus Christ who went to the cross, who defeated death, gets out of the grave, and his disciples can't wait to tell people after they figured out that it was real? Where are you at in this? I want to be about the priestly business of the life calling that I have, and not just because I'm a pastor. It is not just for people like me. It is also for all of us that in your job, wherever it is that you go to work, in your home that you live in, in the people that you do life with, 
Are you about the pristine business where we sell, sell the idea that it is a party to be welcomed into, not a place of shame and guilt and ugliness? We are about the king's business. And there might be days where we wonder if we get in, but let me say one more time that the table is big and there are more seats to be filled. And we get to share in the good news. So may we be priesting this week in the words that we say, the actions that we use, and to the people that we talk about. Because the people in the world that frustrate us haven't been told about the good news. And we think we cannot wait for God to do to them what we hope he will do. I mean, have you ever been around people that have said things, you've probably seen it in movies, where I'm going to send you to, right, you know, where it is. Like, we think we're going to send you to this place of damnation. And that's not how God works. God is always in the business of closing the gap between us and him. He goes out to the prodigal son when he comes back in Luke chapter 15. He doesn't just stay back at the porch and be like, you better come. And when you get here, you better act like you are so sorry for what you did, right? That's the kind of stuff that we can't be caught doing. We go to the world that we live in and we say, hey, have you heard? Have you heard about God? I know you might be told a story or you remember something from your childhood or your youth where it was ugly and not great. But I want to tell you about God in a different kind of way. And my role, your role, is we're priests. And you may not be carving animals up. And again, by the look of some of your hands, I don't think you are. But we are to be about the king's business, where we are partying people because the resurrection has happened. And that is good news for a world that needs to hear it. Here's what I want to think about. I think the world is messed up. And now you're like, yeah, 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 that's totally true. I mean, just look at the news today. It's totally messed up. And here's my, my thought on this, and go with me. And I haven't really worked this out. I haven't made it for publishing yet, but here's what I'm going to say. I feel like the world is messed up because there's so many people who don't have confidence about where they're going. This is not like an end times talk either. Like it's not like he's going to happen on September 11th, 12th, and 13th of 2022, like the guy said about 1988. But sometimes when we don't know where we're going, we feel anxiety, and we act out of our anxiety, and we act out of our hurt, and we wonder. I wonder if that's the tension of the world because they have no confidence on where they're heading. And you and I, if we can invite them to the party and experience the beautiful news about Jesus Christ, I feel like their fears would be relieved. Here's the image I have. It's been a stellar week for this ministry called Royal Family Kids Camp. Not just the fact that over $12,000 came in in one week when we pitched you the idea, but the fact that this past week we also had a deadline for our signups for our camp for all the people that are going we had a goal in mind. It was in the mid-50s. If we take 30 kids to camp, we need in the 50s of adults to go. And we hit that number this week as well. And I think that's worth celebrating. That's good news. But let me give you a picture of camp. And I'm not trying to sell you. The deadline's passed. It's all good. We're there. I mean, I guess if you really want to go, you need to talk to our director. She'll let you in. 
But this week of camp, when we get these foster care kids that come into our camp space, on Monday, we learn stories about them, and they show up, some of them show up with hard, hard exterior because of the world that they have grown up in and the homes that they have been bounced around to and the abuse that has happened, whether physical, sexual, mental, or verbal. Monday is a hard day at camp. But on Tuesday and then Wednesday, because they have confidence of the environment, they begin to open up and they become soft, beautiful children. And I feel like that's the way the world is sometimes. When we don't trust what's happening, we get angry. We get angry at one another. We get angry at our power brokers, whether it's the people we've elected or the people that we didn't elect. We get mad, and we think if, they, if we just... That's sometimes how I feel. I don't know how you feel. But if we just all be fixed, then everything would be fine. And God says it would be fixed if we could understand how the story goes. So if a foster care kid can show up at camp and understand this week is safe, they blossom. Could you imagine what this world would look like if they understood that their place at the table is safe? This world would blossom. And we get to be priests this week and show who Jesus is. That is good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have every week to open up your word. It is not by accident. It is by people who have sat in your presence and have been overcome with the calling that you have placed upon them to write these passages of scripture that we read on a regular basis. But thank you for the good news of Psalm 150, that everybody who has breath, may we praise you. And the beauty of disciples who were scared at first in John 20, but in Acts 5, they got confidence. And when we get to that imagery from the end of the Bible, Lord, we can be overcome with the nitty-gritty details, but may we be overcome with this detail, that you are the ruler of all the kings of the earth, whether the ones in the first century or in this century. May we understand that our place at your table is secure and firm that there is more room for more. And we, as your priests, get to help be the party brokers for this world, to welcome people into the joyous celebration of new life. Because you are on the move, you have emptied the grave, you have gotten off the cross, and there is new life for every single one of us. May we share that with confidence this week, and may we see the world begin to blossom. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.